Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I am your host, Patricia Baker. It is June 28th, 2023, and PK, how are you tonight? I'm absolutely thrilled to be in one piece today. <laughs> we're wrapping up this month, thank goodness. I think we're all ready for that. But I was oh, taking yeah. a look at what's coming up because... The 4th of July is coming, and we won't be having a show prior to that. So I did want to make mention of the fact that as of July, we're going into a five-month, and the 4th of July is going to be a nine-day. So changes, endings, and working together, that's going to be the best hot spot we can work with. The universal year deals with influences of secrets, et cetera, but right now we want to deal with the five month which is going to deal with freedom and adventure. So I was taking a look at things, and the lessons of the five is to watch our ego or being overly confident and arrogant. But the 4th of July adds to the mix things that represent building foundations and hard work. And wasn't that what it took to put America together? Yes. Our country was founded by the Freemasons, whose history goes back at least to the Temple of Solomon. And there's so much that goes on. America has specific symbols tied to the ancient meanings. The words New Age and New World Order, they were taken to coin by represents not the presidents, but what goes on around other things. The forefathers were definitely inspired to help us become creators of this, quote, New Age. And she must collaborate with the world affairs to the further the ultimate establishment of the United And God knows that right now we need to be united as a nation. There's so Mm -hmm. much chaos going on and so many lies bouncing in the air that uh, we'll use the 4th of July as hopefully a new start to eliminate the negative and let's all get together and bring about this new nation that they started how many years ago? Never hurts to try. Yes, I I agree. Talk about that. Well, I think that's great. It's inspiring. My webpage that will go on uh, the first of the month about what's going on with the numbers and such as this, so they can always check it out at patriciakirkman.com. That's right. Excellent. And you can also get your own personal numerology reading from PK. She's available to do that, so you can take a look at all the dynamics that you're facing in your life. Because we all know it's a bit challenging in the world today, both personally and socially. So, and that's why 
we have such a great guest on tonight that we're going to bring on in just yes, a few do. minutes to help us find our mm-hmm. way out of this nightmare. So we are going to bring our guest on in just a few minutes. Paul Levy is his name. He has a new book out called Undreaming Watiko, Breaking the Spell of the Nightmare Mind Virus. This is mm-hmm. really important, really important information. But before I bring him on, I just wanted to mention to please go to our homepage, supernaturalgirlswithaz.com, and take your health back into your own hands. We've got a whole bunch of products Mm -hmm. there. We don't sell these products, but we tell you about these products, and then we arrange for discounts for you. So if you purchase these products from our webpage, you get a discount. And we have lots of leading-edge technology. We have incredible vitamins that are liquid, liposomal, easily administered, easy to digest. I know I've said this before. I'm sick of taking all these vitamin pills. So this is the Mm -hmm. next best way to do it. And we have AirNergy, which is a German-made technology that has photosynthesized oxygen. They call it forest breathing in Europe, very healing. And you get all kinds of benefits from this that you don't get from just breathing through a regular style oxygen concentrator or oxygen machine. There's many more health benefits with AirNergy. And then, of course, we have Dr. Weber's technology. He is just going gangbusters, creating all kinds of new things for us to try. We have the Endolite Band, which has all different color laser lights that treats your bloodstream. It looks like a smartwatch, and so you just attach it for about a half an hour a day. That's all you need, and mm-hmm. it really does make a difference. There's three settings. It's it's very, very easy to use and very, very powerful, and they are also selling some of their older versions, which I also like because you have more control with the older versions on the kind of light that you want to use. So if you want to use red and green or blue and yellow, uh, you can do that. With the Endolite band, you're using all the colors uh, all the time, basically. So <clears throat> these are amazing technologies, and I am a big fan of doing whatever you can to be healthy. And I'd rather be doing these kinds of things at home than running to the doctor and paying them money to sit in their office. So this, to me, is much more empowering. The technology is backed by research. And it's definitely worth taking a look at our homepage. We also have a very special water. And take a look there because that they're running a big sale right now, plus they're giving a discount to our listeners. So go to SupernaturalGirls.com homepage, take a look. If you have any questions and you want to ask me, be, just feel free to do that. Shoot me an email. I'll be happy to respond or message me on Facebook. Be happy to answer any questions or direct you to the right people within these companies that can answer your questions. We want you to be happy and healthy. So let's talk about our amazing guest tonight. What a book. PK and I have been looking at this book now for a couple of weeks because they sent it to us early. And it's an amazing trilogy. Yeah. This is mm-hmm. it's incredible. Paul is addressing the very issues that we've been struggling with on the air. We've talked about it quite a bit. 
And so we can't wait to hear what he has to say. Now, what is causing all this suffering? Our personal suffering and in the world at large. Is it a mind virus that has taken over our thoughts? Now, Paul is going to help us find a way out through healing multi-generational ancestral trauma and more. Now, Paul is a pioneer in the field of spiritual emergence, and he is also a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner. He's been doing that for nearly 40 years. He's the founder of the Awaken in the Dream community. What a great name, in Portland, Oregon. And he's the author of several books, including Dispelling Wichico and Wichico. Now, Paul lives in Portland, Oregon, and he is here with us tonight. Paul, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you guys. So thank you so much for the invite. Oh, it's our pleasure. We we really have wanted to talk to you. <laughs> we needed to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, we're like, this is our man. We need this man. So, Paul, tell us, how did you get into this whole thing about the nightmare mind virus and with Tico? Tell us about how you your journey led you to this. Place. Yeah, no, totally. And that's a great place to start because, you know, I'm not coming from a, the point of view of a scholar or an, or an academic who's studying this stuff. I had a direct, unmediated, personal experience in my life um, over 40 years ago. And it involved, you know, the story isn't important. It involved my family and my father was the, you know, the key player. And um, he became, you know, in a way, he became an instrument for something, a higher dimensional, darker force to come through. And, you know, one very simple way of explaining it, he was just, instead of self-reflecting and doing his inner work, he was projecting his own shadow and his own self-hatred and, and just unconsciously, compulsively acting out his unhealed abuse. And, you know, on to me, I was the only child. And it oh, unbelievably, it created unbelievable suffering for me where I went from, you know, when I was in college around this time, and it got constellated by me, you know, separating and individuating. And, um, and it just, all of a sudden, I went from a very uh, highly accomplished, happy, healthy, normal kid to I was so overwhelmed with this suffering. Um, and it was, you know, like having a direct encounter with evil that I couldn't even, I couldn't go on. I couldn't live my life. And what I decided to do was just go inwards, is just to really assume the position of the witness and go inside my own mind. And that was the only thing that helped. And I did that so intensively, hours and hours a day for a couple of years, <laughs> that then I had this absolutely life-transforming spiritual awakening. I got hit by a bolt of lightning, you know, not from the <gasps> sky. It ignited in my brain. It was like oh. a Kundalini awakening. <laughs> and right away I began to realize, oh, my God, we're having a collective dream. That we are dreaming up this universe, all of us, moment by moment, into materialization, and we're not separate from each other. We're interconnected. We're interdependent. And I was so excited at what I was realizing. I was 24. This was in 1981 that, you know, within the day, I got thrown in a psychiatric ward and told, oh, you're mentally ill. You know, you have this newly discovered chemical imbalance. You're bipolar, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I knew I was having an awakening, and that's what saved me. And so not for a second did I buy into the diagnoses. And during that next one and a half years, probably about four or five times, I got thrown in mental hospitals and diagnosed and medicated. But I, I you know, I 
was completely, there was not even the slightest doubt, you know, that I was having this spiritual awakening. But then when I extricated, extricated myself from psychiatry, you know, then I had not only the trauma from what my father acted out, but psychiatry almost killed me. I mean, it was unbelievable. So then it took me over maybe 12 years of just going to therapy and connecting with my dreams and making art and studying young and doing plant medicine and studying shamanism and studying alchemy, anything and everything under the sun that could help me. And then at about nine, in 1994, that's when I realized, oh, well, I've been through this initiatory ordeal and I actually have a gift now of what I've realized that I can you know, help people and offer to other people. So in 1994, that's when I opened up my private practice and um, began teaching and began, you know, doing my books and haven't had to do anything else since. So that's really, you know, how my work really came about. Gosh, what a journey. Now, at 24, you're talking about having so much wisdom to be able to go inside. I mean, look, I, I mean, I know so many people that just would have gone at it with their father acting like that, but you didn't. So you you settled into yourself. That's amazing. Yeah, well, I was fortunate, you know, and um, and the thing is, here's here's the point I want to make. So I was beginning to recognize, wait, there's, it was like my father was taken over by something, by some sort of this malevolent force. And then when I got thrown into psychiatry, I realized, wait a second, that same darker evil force Instead of coming through, you know, just one person like it was through my father, it was now coming through the system of psychiatry. And then I began to realize, like an iteration of a fractal, that that same evil force was playing out collectively through the greater body politic. And that's when I began to realize, wait a second, there's this darker force that's holographically enfolded throughout the non-local field, including our own minds, including within us. And... I began to realize, wait a second, I'm having a revelation. This is like showing me something. And I began to, you know, to map it and articulate it and try to understand it. And that process has really, you know, helped me, you know, in a way to have the authority to to author these books on evil. Now, let me back up a minute because you were put in psychiatric institutions. And Mm -hmm. what, Mm -hmm. what precipitated that? I mean, were there certain symptoms that... People noticed, yeah, and then right. they just said, was, oh, he needs right. to be I, in the hospital. It, it, exactly. It was like once I got hit by that bolt of lightning that ignited in my brain, the next day I began, it was like I had a radical personality change from other people's point of view because I was just so excited at what I was realizing. I was enthusiastic, and entheos, the root of enthusiastic, it means to be filled with spirit. And I, w- I was having this, this complete full-blown awakening where stuff began happening in my life that not only was like magical and synchronistic, but was physically impossible. And it began happening on a regular basis. Particularly, I was beginning to meet my teachers, these great enlightened teachers from Southeast Asia and Tibet. And when I was around them, it was like the whole, you know, space-time continuum would shift and stuff that was, that I thought of as being impossible would actually happen. And, but the thing was, I was 24, so I wasn't, you could not possibly be prepared for this realization. So I was so, I hadn't integrated it, so I was so, you know, ecstatic 
you know, I had stepped out of being stuck, that um, psychiatry, they're trained to pathologize any aberrant, abnormal behavior. So right away I got pathologized. You know, the, the chemical imbalance had just been announced the year before in the DSM-3 in 1980, and I should point out, so every psychiatrist was diagnosing me with having a chemical imbalance, and it came out years later that those same psychiatrists who authored the book and came out with a chemical imbalance, they actually confessed years later and said, by the way, there's no such thing as a chemical imbalance. We made that up because the pharmaceutical companies wanted to sell more drugs and make more money. I actually have Mm -hmm. the quotes in one of my books. How amazing, my God, you know, what this big pharma has done to us. And so, oh, my when, God, it's so you unbelievable. Were, so you must have been medicated like crazy when you were in these institutions. Well, just because just, just I kept on taking myself off. I mean, there were certain like, maybe a week or two where they had me on like an antipsychotic. And I remember thinking, this isn't an antipsychotic, it's an anti-creative because I'm like super oh. creative. And, and I just felt like my whole creative spirit was just completely suppressed. And, and you know, but I, I quickly figured out when I got out of the last hospital in 1982 how to actually be in the world and appear normal and not be on the med- medication. You know, I just kind of, okay, I could do that. That's, that's, you know, I could figure that out. And so I just took myself off the medication and haven't had any episode in like over 40 years. <laughs> that sounds a lot. Now, where was your yeah, mother yeah, totally. in all of this? Well, my mother and I, we were really close, you know, and growing up, there was this incredible love between us, and she, unfortunately, protected the abuser. She was aligned uh, with my father, and, uh, and yeah. she, was a key, she was a key figure because she was there for a lot of the abuse. And, you know, the abuse wasn't sexual, it wasn't physical, it was emotional. And she was right there, but she disassociated. And, and you know, it's a uh, typical thing, particularly in that generation, for the wife to, you know, protect her husband. And, um, yeah, she just didn't have enough courage because I kept on pointing out that there's something evil coming through my father. And, and, you know, and, of course, I right away became what's called the identified patient. Like, oh, the problem yeah. is Paul saying these terrible things. If only he would stop saying these bad things then the problem would, be go, would, would go away instead of anybody mm-hmm. listening to what I was saying. And then psychiatry also supported my father and protected my father and saw me as the crazy one. Right, right. That's what they do. Gosh, yep. amazing, amazing journey you've been on. So did you end up separating yep. yourself from your mother and father and just saying, okay, I've had enough. It's, I don't need these people well, in was, my life. It was, tra- it was tragic. They, they died over 20 years ago, both convinced yeah. that, you know, oh, and at that point I was teaching and writing. And my mother told me on her deathbed, Paul, that's all your hallucination that you're doing that. You know, she couldn't what? take in the reality of it because if I, if I wasn't hallucinating it, then, well, then wait a second, then she might have to listen to what I was pointing at which is that her husband is a total criminal. And, yeah, so, you know, it ruined, it destroyed basically my entire family. I have, and once my parents died over 20 years ago, the rest of the relatives, I, have, they, I haven't heard from them since. You know, I've been excommunicated because I was the one who was trying to shed light on the family, you know, the, the dysfunction. Right. Yes, yes. Oh, goodness. My goodness. What yeah. a journey. Oh. 
God bless you that you made it through to the other side. This is mm-hmm. just so inspiring. Right. It really is. I mean, that you had that kind mm-hmm. of wisdom when you were 24 years old and and you you didn't, you know, murder your father. <laughs> it would have been justified from what, yeah, you, yeah, well, from what yeah, you went through. No, I hear you. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, no. I was I was just a, a, like a really open-hearted, like every kid. I was open-hearted and loving and, you know, just wanting to be in service and all that. So I, I kept on trying to shed light on what was playing out in the family. And the more I did that, the more my parents just saw me as crazy. Uh, yeah, it's almost like, and I've seen this. Bef- yeah, I've seen this before when I was a therapist with certain parents, uh, and I think more male than female. Uh, tend to, when they see the angelic child, which it sounds like you were, that they have to kill it. They can't allow yep, it to yep. exist. Well, that's in a way I wrote. You know, these three books mm-hmm. on Watiko, this mind virus. That's Watiko, because think about it. Somebody like my father had. He had actually killed the light of his soul. He had murdered his own light. And here I am, this young kid who's like brightly shining his light, which reminds him of what he's killed in himself. So, of course, he has to kill the mirror. He has to kill the reminder and the reflection of what he's murdered in himself. So he, he literally tried to obliterate the light in me. But what he didn't realize, it made it even stronger. You know, because mm. when creativity is suppressed, you know, if it's the real thing, if it's the real creative spirit, it'll find a way to, to express itself. And that's exactly what happened. That's such a blessing. My gosh, just such mm-hmm. a blessing. Well, now what we're seeing is this is happening all throughout our society. The mm-hmm. same dynamic, Yes. Yeah, no, totally. Well, that's what Watiko is. You know, it's a Native American term, and it actually connotes this collective psychosis. So our species, you know, we're in the middle of a psychic epidemic. We've gone collectively mad. This is what Jung was warning us about, the great psychiatrist Jung, that the the real danger are psychic epidemics where millions of people are going to reinforce each other's madness and just destroy themselves. And that's exactly what we're doing. But I'm pointing out – now, the thing about this mind virus – you know, people can hear this and it sounds all new agey or woo-woo, but all that it really means is that the source of the, and the solution of the collective madness that is playing out in our world is to be found within the psyche. And that's a no-brainer. Where else could it ever possibly be found, you know? And so I'm just a translator because every spiritual tradition, it's in the apocryphal text of the Bible, it's in Buddhism, it's in every wisdom tradition is pointing at this mind virus. They're just calling it a different name. You know, in the apocryphal text, for example, it's called the counterfeiting spirit. But it got edited out of the Bible and put in the apocryphal text because I point out that Watiko was on the editorial board. You see, because it can't stand to be exposed. What I'm doing with my work, I'm flooding light on how this on how this mind virus works. And because, you know, if we don't see it, it has power over us and it can kill us. But when we see it, we take away its power and we become empowered. Right. And it's easier said than done because so many people get seduced by this. Now, here's, let me bring this into kind of some pop culture terms. So we've got the term now, Karen. And Mm -hmm. I've seen Mm -hmm. some of the most ridiculous videos by people that have been called this 
that are harassing their neighbors or harassing other people or even harassing children. And it to me, when I watch this, I think this person has got to be insane. And is this is part of it, right? That this these people obviously they're, they're they can be male or female, but started out both with both mostly women mm-hmm. acting uh, very aggressively towards people for absolutely no reason. I mean, there's no logical yeah. reason. Yeah. Well, so but how, what it is? How does what, this take what's place? going on? Yeah. What's going on? You see, the the solution to the Watiko epidemic. Because Watiko, this mind virus, has no creativity, but it plugs into our creativity and turns it against us. And so the real solution for the mind virus is for each one of us to connect with our creative expression and the creative spirit that is our nature. That is the, when people hear about, oh, our true nature, well, what is our true nature? Our true nature by its very nature is to be creative. But if we don't express ourselves creatively, that same energy turns against us and becomes, instead of constructive, it becomes destructive, self and or other destructive. So if we're not, you know, actively participating in expressing ourselves creatively, that energy gets rechanneled into getting acted out in a destructive way. Gosh. And so this is affecting a lot of people at the same time. And is this contagious? Because it seems yeah, like it well, is. Well, it's absolutely contagious, mm-hmm. and this is why in the Castaneda books, Carlos is he's referring. He doesn't have the name Watiko, but he 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 calls it a different name. Like the predator is one of the names. He says this is the topic of topics. There is nothing more important in the world to understand than this mind virus, and it is contagious because it operates through the blind spots of the unconscious, and and when people, you know, and it it. it, it this mind virus exists in potential in the collective unconscious, which is to say all of us potentially can fall prey to it. And so when we actually unwittingly act it out, we will then, you know, people who are also susceptible to acting it out, we will reinforce each other's, each other's madness. So it's like a contagion that will, will spread in a viral way. But what I'm pointing out is when people begin to see how this mind virus works in the world, by configuring outer events in our world so as to actually express what's going on inside of our mind. So just think about what I'm saying, that when the outer circumstances in our world are actually reflecting the inner circumstance of our psyche, that's just like a dream. When we begin to see that, and we begin to see how Atiko configures events in our world, as well as configuring our own unconscious reactions, then all of a sudden, we take away its power and we become empowered. And when we connect with other people who are also seeing it, that goes viral in a positive way. Yes, that's what we need. I mean, uh, I mean, you bring up Castaneda, one of my favorite writers, and mm-hmm. uh, he, he also talked about basically not reacting, that the fact of, you know, when you don't react to this kind of stuff, you don't feed it. And you right. did that when you were 24 because you you said you withdrew, you went inside. So you stopped right. reacting to your father, which is, again, amazing to me that you had the wherewithal mm. to do that because here is Castaneda talking about it's a, something that you have to learn how to do. You have to really get disciplined 
about it mm-hmm. because it's so tempting to react to these events and these horrible people that are basically just, you know, prodding you to react to them. Yeah. So yeah, they the can shoot is, off you, it you, too. Yeah, but the thing is, is when you see, you see one of, there are like a number of ways of articulating how to heal Watiko, you know, in ourselves, in our minds, and in the world. And one of the ways is to see the dreamlike nature, is to see, oh, we are having a collectively shared dream. And this is what the Buddha was saying. This is what Christ was saying. You know, every enlightened being in the world is saying, is pointing at the dreamlike nature. When you see the dreamlike nature, what you realize is that we're all dream characters in each other's dreams. You know, just like you have a night dream, at night you wake up and you realize, oh, I dreamed of my friend Joe or, you know, this person or that person. Well, they're actually dream characters. They're, they're reflections of those parts of you. So if you see somebody in, in the waking dream, in the world, they're acting out this, you know, this watiko, this evil. Well, they're reflecting that part of you. They're not separate. You see, watiko is the separate self. And what I'm pointing out is when you wake up to the dreamlike nature, you recognize the, the nature of our situation, which is that we're interconnected, we're interdependent, we're not separate, and the energetic expression of that realization is compassion. Mm-hmm. And again, this is a level of advancement we need to move towards because we don't want this to continue to be contagious and spread the way we've seen it spread, I mean, through all kinds of systems that we have in place right oh, now. Oh, totally. It's spreading on multiple scales, you know, multiple dimensions, like all over the body politic. And, I mean, one way of understanding what's happening, you see, I, I want to bring in, here's Jung. And Jung says that the big problem of our time is we do not understand what is happening in our world. And he clarifies, he says, what is happening in our world is that the very darkness of the soul is being revealed, the darkness of the unconscious. We are making a shamanic descent into the underworld. And, you know, we're all being called to be these wounded healers and shamans. And, you know, to even put it in more understandable terms, we are, and this is undeniable, as a species, we are enacting collective suicide. That's clear. There's no debate about that. The question is, how come we're doing that? And I can answer that. I would point out we are doing that. We are collectively killing ourselves because we do not know how not to. We don't know how to not kill ourselves. And what I'm pointing at is that the act of killing ourselves is the way we're teaching ourselves how to not kill ourselves. What I'm pointing at is that encoded in the pathology is the vaccine. Encoded in the pathology is the medicine. That's what Watiko is. It's a mind virus that's the source of the greatest evil. But if we don't recognize what it's revealing to us, that it's actually helping us to awaken, it's being called by scholars. Watiko is the greatest catalyst for human evolution ever known. But if we don't recognize that it is, then it will just continue its program function and kill us. But the point is, is that it's a quantum phenomena. And what I mean by that is just like light 
Well, is it a wave or a particle? Well, it depends. It's both, depending on how you observe it. Wachiko is the source of the greatest evil and the most sublime divinity and the highest good, and it's helping us to wake up. Well, how is it going to manifest? It depends if we recognize what it's revealing to us because it's a revelation. That's what Jung is pointing at, that the revelation isn't coming from the heavens through the light. No, the revelation is coming from the underworld through the darkness of matter, and we need to recognize that and, and, and then we actually can, can experience the positive face of Wotiko. Tall order. I'm up for it. I know, PK, you are too. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but these are tall, tall orders. Definitely. For, for many people who've been caught up in this and cannot, for whatever reason, see what's right in front of them. Seeing the reality. It's so, I mean, I am, yep, well, and I know PK yeah, right. and I have had many well, conversations about this. Why can't they see what's right in front yeah. of them? Well, it's funny. That's, think about what, how I'm <laughs> describing Watiko. Watiko is a form of blindness. And, but it's a form of blindness that doesn't know it's blind. And not only that, it thinks that it's more sighted than people who actually see. Now, for example, you know, so many visionaries and artists and thinkers and philosophers have been like, you know, devoting their lives over centuries to pointing at Watiko. Like, I'll, I'll just mention one, like the great sci-fi writer Philip K. Dick. He actually was saying this, this mimicking stuff, because that's what Watiko is. It's a mime. It's an impersonator. It's the counterfeiting spirit. That's what it's called in the apocryphal text. He goes, this mimicking stuff is the key to everything. Okay? And so this counterfeiting spirit, it puts us on. It'll offer us, because keep in mind, it has no creativity. It'll offer us a fictitious identity, a false version of who we are. Oh, you're limited, you're traumatized, you're wounded. And if we're not awake in that moment, we will then identify with what Tico's version of ourselves, and then it has us. Then it can manipulate us and control us. You know? And because the greatest protection against Watiko is to be in touch with who we actually are, with our nature. And just think about what I'm describing. So here, Watiko, it can't steal our soul, but it can trick us into giving our soul away. Then we actually identify with Watiko's version of ourselves. We identify with who we're not. Then we forget who we are, and we disconnect from our creative agency. That's a recipe for madness, and that's Watiko in a nutshell. Hmm. <clears throat> so this, again, runs through all of our institutions right now, all of our government institutions. And you see totally. so many people yep. getting paid off to, to do and say things that are not at all in alignment with the truth. So you see people just taking money instead. And that's a way of selling the soul, I think, selling themselves out. Mm -hmm. And yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's very okay. sad to see that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just to comment on that, because, you know, the thing about Watiko, it's an inner disease of the soul that actually can somehow, it has a magical ability to extend itself out into the external world and inform and give shape to external events. But, that, but those external events are reflecting how Watiko works inside of an individual's mind. So you're talking about these government institutions. Yeah, there's been, they've been captured. They've, there's like regulatory capture. The very institutions that are supposed to monitor the negative forces and the invaders have been captured by those negative forces. That's how Watiko works in the human psyche. In other words, when somebody becomes infected sufficiently, Watiko sets up a shadow government within the psyche. It colonizes the psyche. It subsumes all the healthy aspects of the psyche to serve the pathology. It will dictate to the ego. 
and, and the person is oblivious. They have no idea that they've been taken over by, by this mind virus. What I'm describing is exactly what's happening in the world as these totalitarian forces are like taking over and centralizing power and control and trying to take away our liberties. But the point is when you see how what's happening in the world is reflecting what's actually happening in our mind, that's when you begin to see the dreamlike nature and seeing the dreamlike nature is like this magical elixir that just dissolves Watiko. This is just, I'm captivated by what you're saying. And how how do you see a way out for our institutions with this? Because they seem so... Yeah you know, out of control and at, and still all-powerful. Right, right. No, I see. Time. I totally see a way out. But here's the thing, and this is Jung once again, because, you know, he, when I found his work, it changed my life. It saved my life. And he's talking about that change in the world has to start with the individual. It can't start with legislation, with changing institutions, with getting the, the bad people out of positions of power, because if we don't deal with the deeper archetypal process that's happening, then over time, those roles of, you know, the criminals who are like attracted to positions of power will just get filled by other people. So the point is, you know, each one of us has to do our inner work and, and connect. You know, you see, we are being put under a spell. And we, so many people feel, oh, the, the darkness, the evil, the insanity, it's so overwhelming, I have no power, I'm helpless, I'm powerless. And on one hand, that's true. On another hand, that's the lie. Because each one of us, this is why I wrote a book on quantum physics, because quantum p- physics came along into the world and into our minds you know, a century or so ago, and it, it's like showing us that we have, each one of us have this unimaginably vast creative power to create our experience moment by moment. And we're using it every second. But most of us are using it unconsciously in a way that's creating a cocoon around ourselves and suffocating us, you know? Mm. And so the point is, when enough people actually wake up to our nature, and what is our nature? Because it's kind of a cliche, oh, just become who you are. Well, what is your true nature? Your true nature by its very nature is creative. So the more you realize your nature, the more you embody and express yourself creatively, and the more you do that, the more you deepen your realization of your nature. It's a positive feedback loop that literally creates light, and it creates light upon light. And when one person does that, it actually imprints in the quantum field of the collective unconscious, making it easier for other people to do it. And then when you connect with other people who are having the same realization and are embodying being you know, just their true nature, which is to be a creative, open-hearted, loving person, that goes viral. That becomes the contagion. That's, yeah. So here's a story that a, a guest told us on the air some time ago. Now, PK, I'm sure you remember when Lon told us this story. Uh, Lon yeah. Ducat, famous, famous mm-hmm. author, a big expert in the occult, very well known worldwide. And yeah, this, this, this guy was trolling Lon like crazy. And (laughs) calling him the fat bastard, you know, who do you think you are? You're some big occultist. You can't even, you know, (laughs) control your own weight. You know, you're so fat and obviously you have no self-control. And, I mean, this guy would not stop. And he was brutal. Yeah, exactly. And poor Lon, Mm -hmm. he's a sweetheart of a guy, and he was just beside himself. And... 
no matter what, this guy just wouldn't let up. So all of a sudden, Lon had this enlightened moment where he thought, well, you know what? Maybe the guy's right that I need to take a look at the fact that I'm fat, you know, and out of shape. And maybe I need to do something about that. So he started walking, you know, a few blocks mm-hmm. every day until he was able to extend it to a couple of miles. And then he changed his diet and he started to lose weight. So he turned this absolutely horrible, insulting experience into something that really enriched his life. So I think that's kind of what you're talking about, that this is what we all yeah, need no, to do. Yeah, that's, no, that's in other words, we mm-hmm. are being invited to be alchemists. And alchemists, what alchemy really is about is transforming something that's like seemingly negative into medicine. You know, and that's what I've done. I never would have been able to write, you know, these books on Watiko if I didn't go through the most unbelievable torture and torment you know, with my father and with psychiatry. And instead of staying stuck in that state and feeling victimized and resentful and bitter, I was able to, like, see, wait a second, when I was hospitalized and almost, like, destroyed by psychiatry, that was part of the awakening. That was a descent into, the, into Hades, into the hell realm. And so I was, like, alchemically transmuting these horrible things that had happened to me into something that could be helpful. And that's what we're all asked to do. You know, we're all, I, I, I have, I think it's the biggest chapter in the new book. It's about, you know, uh, the whole idea of being, being shamans. And, you know, and a shaman is the wounded healer. And, um, and a shaman really is the creative artist. That's what a shaman is. And we are being called to be, you know, to step into uh, the shamanic part of ourselves. And the thing which is interesting, I wrote, I finished that chapter literally two weeks before the lockdown happened. And little did I realize, you know, that I was being like sort of, you know, telling the future because here I was writing about we're making a descent into the underworld, we're going through a death rebirth experience, and then the lockdown happened, which like was like the next level of that, that very process. Wow. Incredible timing, jeez! Yeah, it's and incredible. if I could just say one thing, because it's really, it's really important. Yeah, I want to make sure not to forget this thing. You see, in essence, it, it very much think of like you know a myth or a fairy tale where our species has fallen under a spell, and that's really that's mm. very very accurate because we have this creative genius. That's our nature. Each one of us. We are what quantum physics is revealing to us is that we are creating our experience moment by moment. No one else is doing that. We are doing that by the way we're interpreting the inkblot of our experience and placing meaning on it. And to the extent we don't know it, we become victimized by our own creative genius and that incredible power to you know, create our experience. In a sense, we've hypnotized ourselves. And like one way of understanding this, a very simple way, is like when, imagine being in a night dream right? And you're in a night dream, whatever the dream is, and you're holding a viewpoint, whatever the perspective you're holding is. Well, the dream has no choice but to reflect your viewpoint because the dream is nothing other than your own mind. So, for example, if in that dream you think, oh, the world is objective, well, then the world, you know, then the dream being nothing other than a reflection of your own mind will give you all the evidence confirming your viewpoint that the world is objective, 
so now you have confirmation of, oh, my viewpoint is objectively true. So you become even more fixed in the viewpoint of seeing the world objectively. The more you see the world objectively, the more it will reflect as if it is objective. And you've entranced yourself by your own creative genius. And the source of that process is within our own mind. We have entranced ourselves as a species. What I'm trying to get across to people is here's how you break the spell. That's why the subtitle, what is it, something like Breaking the Spell of the Nightmare breaking Mind the Virus. Right. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yes, we need to break out of it. That is for certain. It is, because it feels like a terrible hamster wheel that Completely. a lot of that's, people That's can't what samsara, that's what in it. Buddhism samsara yeah. is, that it hamster is. wheel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's and it's hard to watch. I mean, certainly PK and I aren't perfect with we're humans, but we can see a lot of times when people get caught up in something like that and um with this, which we all play a part in, but it's I mean, we sit back and go, when are they going to wake up? When are they going to get out of this? And right. I don't yeah. see it happening easily. Well, well, here's the thing, and I go back to the collective works of Jung. Jung says it makes no sense to preach the light to people whose eyes cannot see, right? Now, just remember, in the Bible, they talk about this mind blindness that people's eyes are open but don't see, or people are actually shutting their eyes, which is pointing at that we are participating in creating our own blindness. And in the Bible, they correlate that, that, that mind blindness to a, to a closed heart, and, you know, because then, you know, you, you don't have a loving, you know, warm, good heart. You know, you just have an armored heart to protect yourself. That is an expression of the blindness. But then getting back to Young, he says, yeah, it makes no sense to preach the light to people whose eyes can't see. It's a way better strategy, he says, to teach people the art of seeing. Okay. Now, I have a chapter in the book on exactly that, on what does that mean, the art of seeing? Because, you know, I mean, yeah, like, what does that mean? But that's our situation, is that, you know, for those of us who've broken the spell, to whatever degree, you know, who've realized the dreamlike nature, to whatever degree, how do we deepen our own realization and try to help other people to actually open their eyes and see? And I think we've all experienced, no matter how many much evidence or facts you try to convince somebody, people are so fixed in a viewpoint that it doesn't make a difference, you know? No, it doesn't. And, yeah, I, I've never in my life seen anything like this, you know? It's become so yeah. polarized. Now, our world has become so polarized, but I want to point out that Jung, once again, comes to our rescue. He says the, the great illness of our time, the great sickness, is a sickness of disassociation, where the right hand mm -hmm. does not know what the left hand is doing. And think about that. That's a trauma response. We, you know, we get traumatized and we're all in trauma, you know, being a human being, and then we split, we disassociate. Now, interestingly, what can happen if we don't own and integrate that disassociated part, it actually becomes, in psychology speak, they call it an autonomous complex. And what that means, it seems to have like an independent will and life of its own that's adversarial to the ego. Now, the indigenous people, what they would call an autonomous complex, they would call it a demon. That's what's ego, okay? Now, the thing about Jung, he says, but we are suffering from a sickness of disassociation, but encoded in our sickness, there's sort of like this 
pregnancy. We're actually, something is being born through us if we're able to contain the incredible tension of the opposites. And, and if we don't, if we're not able to contain that, then we're fated to destroy ourselves. And, yes, that's what we're facing. Now, how much does secrecy play a role in this? Because all of our institutions have tremendous amounts of secrecy. Transparency is long gone. And the same with families. Families have their secrets. Right. And then we have the ancestral part where we may not even know what we're at the effect of with our ancestral right. line. So right. there's all secrecy, of secrets. It, yeah, exactly. And that secrecy is such a, you know, I talk about that in my book because I think the first chapter I point out the source, you know, the real, the, the real sort of root of Wartiko is unhealed multi-generational ancestral trauma that gets passed down and acted out, you know, to the next of kin and, you know, over the generations. And, and typically when there's abuse in a family system, there's secrets. And secrets in a family system, it, it, um, sort of you could think of it as emitting poison in the, in the, in the minefield of the family. And, um, and interestingly, in his work, Jung talks about that evil regenerates itself over the generations. So to the extent we're not dealing with and healing and integrating our unhealed ancestral trauma, we then are actually unwittingly colluding with that evil as we act it out and pass it on, you know, to the next generation. Right. Yes, I mean, oh God, there's so many tentacles for this. But there's mm-hmm. also the the secrecy of our past in terms of who are we really and seeing all of this this cover-up on UFOs and abductions and races from inner dimensions and other planets, it's all, a lot of it's just still being kept from us under the guise that, oh, we don't know what this really is, but we'll share some of our photos with you. I mean, it just gets ridiculous. And But there's more to it than that. It's, I, we were asked to do a proposal for the Bix Foundation. You know, they're big on wanting to prove that life after death is a fact. And mm-hmm. our proposal was accepted, the first one. Then they changed their game a little bit. And they wanted answers to questions about why people were um, being drawn to technology rather than spirituality. And then there were some subtexts in that. And we did some sittings, our group, and the answer that came out, I thought was perfect. It said, what kind of plant can grow from the seed of a lie? Right, like, right. It. Well, mm-hmm. and the thing which is interesting, just to to trip out on you know the phrase like you know just like when when people lie, the lie. In his work, Young. Well, first of all, I point out that the psychological, the underlying psycho- psychological process that informs Watiko is you know is uh, when we project the shadow, is scapegoating, right? Now, in his work, Young calls projecting the shadow, quote-unquote, the lie. Now, who's the liar? Think about it in the Bible. It's the devil. And, you know, mm-hmm. so, in other words, I'm pointing out, like in Christianity, the devil, Satan, that's actually like a symbol for Watiko, just like every spiritual tradition has a symbol for this thing. You see, because 
it, it's just like in a fairy tale, when you find the name of, uh, of the offending demon, you take away its power and you empower yes. yourself. And mm-hmm. so from my point of view, it doesn't make a difference what the name is. We just have to decide on a name so that, because when we have the name for something, then it's like we've objectified it and we, we're seeing it. And by seeing it, we distinguish ourselves from it. Because the thing about Watiko, because it operates through the unconscious blind spots, people can get possessed by it and taken over by it. And they're oblivious. And they then have offered themselves then to become a conduit, an instrument for this higher dimensional malevolent force to act out in the world. And all the while, they're thinking they're on the side of goodness and light and justice. Right. Yes, exactly. That is the most perplexing part of this. Really? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, I've gone so into this because this very dynamic was informing my family. And, you know, it destroyed my entire family. It almost drove me insane. And, but I, I was fated to have to understand this, you know, or it was just going to drive me nuts. So it's because of my own experience. I mean, I was forced to, ha- to have to come to terms with this that I, I discovered my work. Yeah, I mean, you you have such a gem as a result of this. I mean, it's like the the oyster pro- producing the pearl here. Uh, but mm. it's again, there, there's so there's so much to this vast topic, and it's so wonderful that you've started to name it. You've given it a name, right. and, and right. thank God that you've mm-hmm. done that because right away you have raised our consciousness about all of this. And I can't tell you how many conversations. PK and I have had over this, and finally you're you're shedding some light on it, and it makes a lot of sense well, what you're saying. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, and it's interesting. People who've been through incredible ordeals like addiction or abuse or alcoholism or trauma, when they hear about Watiko and they read my work, they right away recognize. They go, "Oh, exactly. I know what Paul's pointing at." But people who are just, you know, kind of uh, in mainstream reality, you haven't really gone through, you know, some form of deeper initiation. They'll they'll like hear about, you know, my stuff, and they'll just be like, "What? That's crazy," you know, whatever. But because the thing about Watiko, um, I mean, it it underlies the process of both addiction and trauma, you know. And if I could just say a word about that, because when we're traumatized. Yeah. You know, and we're all, we're a species in trauma. I mean, I've been screaming, I've been in trauma for decades since what happened with my father in psychiatry. But when we're in trauma, what is trauma? Trauma, the very way we try to heal from our trauma actually creates the very trauma we're trying to heal from in a self-reinforcing feedback loop that is, you know, that is crazy making. And, but encoded in our acting out our trauma in the repetition compulsion is what Freud called it, encoded in that very process, we're actually trying to discharge something. We're actually, like a beautiful definition of trauma is unexperienced experience. That at the moment of trauma, historically, by definition, it's so overwhelming that we weren't able to consciously experience it, so we split and we can't symbolically express it because it's overwhelming. So we, so that you know, fate, then we're fated to just continually to compulsively 
reenact and recreate the trauma, which is the pathology. That is the symptomology of trauma. And I'm pointing out encoded in that process, we're actually trying to experience something we weren't able to experience. What the point is, is that that exactly maps onto Watiko, that the pathology of Watiko encoded in it is the solution. And we just have to recognize that, and then abracadabra, then all of a sudden, Watiko reveals its positive face, and we then expand our consciousness, and we evolve. But if we don't recognize what it's revealing to us, it's going to continue to, to destroy us. It will. Yeah, it's a very powerful energy in, <laughs> in both ways. So it yeah. makes sense that, you know, hopefully enough people will understand this and want to understand it. That's the thing, because we're seeing a lot of people that don't want to understand this. I mean, not our yeah. audience. Well, God bless all of our audience members. They're, they're fabulous. They're smart. They're open-minded. We get some of the best questions in the world from our audience members, and they're working hard on themselves to accomplish exactly what you're putting forth tonight. Yeah. And there's yeah, other well, yeah, well, Don't you know, the idea of doing doing inner work and having the courage to do that and having the courage to really to face your shadow. And um and interestingly, you know, etymologically, um mirror, the word mirror, it means the holder of the shadow. And um you know, so the idea being that you know, I've never seen anything like this. In this time in history, everybody I know is confronted face-to-face with all the stuff they've been postponing and avoiding dealing with, you know, with their, their deeper, darker shadow. And it takes real courage, um, you know, for, for people to really encounter their shadow. And it's easy to think you're encountering it, but then it can just turn into an idea of your shadow. But when you really encounter your shadow, it's a moral dilemma it, it challenges you to the core of your being. And, and, you know, you have to, then you begin to realize, oh, my God, the evil I've been seeing out there in the world, that's actually reflecting something resonant and similar in myself. And that takes courage. Right. Yes, it really does. Eyes wide open. It really does. Well, Paul, I want to respect our time frame here because uh, I know you have to run and mm-hmm. go to your, your dinner and your class. And we can't mm-hmm. thank you enough for being with us tonight. It's been wonderful. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, it's been my ple- It's just been so much fun and my pleasure, and I just can't thank you guys enough, really. Well, would you oh, please you. promise to come back, because there's so much more we need to talk about. Oh, and sure. I know you're no, very we only, busy. We, but... only scratch, we only scratch the surface. I'm, I would be happy exactly. to come back. Exactly. Oh, we yeah. love that. Thank you so much. Well, Paul, you, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening, and we look forward to having you back on the show again. So thank you. Again, the name of the book, Undreaming with Tico, Breaking the Spell of the Nightmare mm-hmm. Mind Virus by our guest tonight, Paul Levy. Get the book, everybody. It's tremendous. Okay, well, we'll be back next week. And we were going to have an, we're going to have another great show too. We are going to be talking with a very famous dowser who's going to douse my property. So we're going to find out. Yeah. We're going to follow through with Kay Randall May's work and see what's really here. Do we have a portal? Do we have an underground spring? What do we have? So we're going to find out, and she is going to be with us next week. So until then, everybody, we will see you. 
on the Blue Highway. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.